I'm one of the people who sleeps out in the street for six weeks, seven weeks for Star Wars in front of the Chinese theater in Hollywood. How do you how do you watch a movie like that? How do you look at space and not be filled with wonder and have a desire, a thirst to to see more? Star Wars planted the seed. Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, all of it. Anything that had to do with looking up, looking toward the future. How do you not see your future when you look up? Horsehead Nebula, that, that light that traveled 1,500 years to get to our eyes. I mean, these ancient photons that we're collecting, that's exciting. It, it's, it's leading us on a journey of where we've been, who we are. I mean, this, the stars that have blown up in the ancient universe, our bodies are comprised of, of the elements that were released into space. That was Jason Thomas, a science fiction and fantasy fan who has used his love of science fiction to mold his interest in amateur astronomy and nature. In this episode, he shares with us how he connects sci-fi and science in his life. This podcast is brought to you by Space and Beyond Box, who brings the universe to your door. The Space and Beyond box is really cool, and there's several different kinds of boxes, each filled with astronomy and space stuff compiled by the editors of Astronomy Magazine. So here's how it works. You subscribe, and then they will send out one box each quarter throughout the year. And what's really neat is that each box has a different space theme. For example, the first one is called the Moon Box and has some really cool Apollo 11 stuff in it and a moon globe along with other moon items. The Space and Beyond Box will please anyone interested in space, backyard astronomy, and just plain looking up. And they make great gifts. So be sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Space and Beyond Box. And if you go to their website, spaceandbeyondbox.com giveaway, you can enter to win a free one-year subscription or one of five first-year boxes. That's spaceandbeyondbox.com slash giveaway. So check them out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Yeah, so I'm in 80 pounds of chainmail because Jason Thomas decided I was going to be. You know, it was Halloween. Oh wow, yesterday. he has a lot of control over you, Dustin. I didn't realize that. Oh, I see you now in the stream. <laughs> I see distance in my future. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, man, I wish we were streaming this for everybody to see. This is really perfect. (laughs) Do you see this gigantic sword? I see that. Jason, why are you not also looking like you're in Monty Python's Holy Grail? Well, I only had one. It was Halloween yesterday. I just happened Ah. to have this in in my truck. I wore this for six hours at work yesterday. And I was too lazy to take it out of the truck. Plus, I thought, you know, why wouldn't I want chain mail in my truck? You know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, of course not. Yeah. Remember back I mean, in the, the day when um, people zombies, were zombies, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, remember back in the day when uh, there was people with road rage? Well, I always imagine back in this, the day. <laughs> back in the day. You mean yesterday? <laughs> yesterday? Yesterday, too. But I always imagined, okay, I used to actually carry a chainsaw in my, I, I had an old van. 
And I thought if I put on chain mail and came out with a chainsaw and started it, you know, this, this situation is going to resolve very quickly. So I kept chain mail in my truck and wherever. And chainsaw. Is that, so, is that the easiest way to solve that problem? I find that it's the most effective. <laughs> I bet it yeah. is effective. I can imagine, yeah. You know, somebody yeah. starts a chainsaw, God. just going the other way. I've yeah, been you're wearing... Gonna wanna, you're going to want to change that attitude just a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. I. He handed me this sword, and this sword, I mean, that thing's got to weigh 40 pounds. Super heavy. It 13. <sighs> is that it? Oh, wow, Dustin, th- 30. Is it really only thirteen? It's, it's only 13, 13 How much? Pounds? How much does this? How much does this weigh? I thought you uh, worked that's, out. That's no, I don't. Not when Jason Thomas is around. Not when he's bringing this stuff. <laughs> uh, that, I feel like if somebody has a magnet in here, I'm fucked, man. The chainmail weighs about sixty-five pounds. Sixty-five pounds. Okay. And that was all straight wire that I bought from Home Depot. And was it? Oh my god! You made this out of straight wire? That was all straight wire. That was all. I, I bent every ring. I I did it all. Okay, so it really is nice work. I mean, I can see it. Yeah. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, we are testing a system where we might be streaming soon. And I am looking at this test stream of Dustin and and Jason together. And Dustin, (laughs) I wish we could show this. (laughs) I gotta have take a. I gotta have to take a stream uh, screen shot of this. If you want to wear it next week, I'll leave it here. I'm coming back. Yeah. 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 Oh man, (laughs) this thing. is up. We should probably give this context, though. Yeah. Why are we dressed up right now? Because I mean, I'm not really completely certain myself. Um, I think the premise was you wanted to talk about how science fiction has affected science and vice versa. Yes, and, and your involvement in it. I think your involvement is impressive. I'm one of the okay. So I'm one of the people who sleeps out in the street for six weeks, seven weeks for Star Wars in front of the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I, you've become like very known for that, right? Like, I mean, you've made the news for this stuff. I've, yeah, I've 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 been on a few things. You know, I uh, I don't like to brag. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but I but I will. Yeah, I, hold hold my hold my beer. Okay, so yeah, I, I think to to start, you know, back to the premise was, um, you know, I saw Star Wars when. You know, I was very young and mm-hmm. it, it left me with a sense of wonder for space, which okay. led me ultimately to OBT. Right. And uh, it, <clears throat> how do you how do you watch a movie like that? How do you look at space and not be filled with wonder and have a desire, a thirst to to see more? Sure. Um, you know, I'm a science fiction guy. Uh, I, I but there's so much. um intermixing of the two i mean but it ultimately led you to telescopes because that's that's how obviously we know each other and you go to all the star party i mean if i most of the star parties i've been to i've seen you there you know you come out to our events i see you here at opt and and that's how we became close but i mean it's so it all started with star wars for you well i the thing about star wars is that i don't remember dreaming before i saw it and after i saw it i never stopped and those dreams tended to be looking up. Mm-hmm. So the natural progression of that is telescopes, astronomy. Uh, I took all the all the astronomy classes that my old college had. Yeah. Um, wow. George Lucas should pay you to say that. That's. Well, I was in his lifetime achievement award show. Were you? Yeah. Wow. I've been to his house. George Lucas's. Yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, you are the Star Wars guy then. Uh, in 2002 for Attack of the Clones, um, a local um, radio host, Rick Dees, he offered me $10,000 for my spot in line. And I said no. So the people at Lucasfilm were like, yeah, this guy's legit. And they invited me up. I didn't get to meet George because he, he was in a meeting, but it was just one door away. Yeah. Um, wow. Where, where was your spot in line, man? I was first. You were number one. Wow. I was number one at that point. And I was going back and forth with, with another guy because sometimes I'd have to leave, but there was a big group and we would like clock in and out for hours. And the person who ended up with the most hours got, got the first choice of tickets. And so I'm getting ready to do that actually in December. It's nine days for episode nine. You're doing another nine days camping out. Yeah. And when this is done, I will have completed about six months of sleeping on the street in front of this theater for Star Wars. For Star Wars. And so what, um, I I think that's awesome, man. It's awesome. I I love people that live passionately about whatever it is they do. And this has drawn you to space. Oh, oh yeah. You know, and even before I was lining up, like I said, Star Wars planted the seed. Star Wars, Star Trek, you know. All of it, anything that had to do with looking up, looking toward the future. How do you not see your future when you look up? Mm-hmm. Um, but back in college, I, I I did everything that astronomy could could provide, and I've always been that way. I've always had this fascination with with space. So I think Star Wars planted that seed, and that's a pretty common story too. I think with uh, astronomers and many amateur astronomers is is the is the connection we started thinking about this stuff through science fiction. For me, I, I remember watching Star Star Trek when it was actually on television. It was opposite Bonanza at the time, and I used to fight with my dad to could I watch could I watch Star Trek? And he always well, if you like, want to no, borrow my chainmail and sword, yeah. <laughs> you're more than welcome. Yeah, <laughs> so I would I would have <laughs> loved it then for sure. But, uh, but now it's, uh, but, but yeah, I started that way. I got to thinking about the very first episode I ever saw of Star Trek was the space amoeba one. And it got me to thinking about science and, and, and getting out into, uh, you know, what can I do? Of course the Apollo program was going on. So that was still very much in everybody's imagination. So yeah, I, I hear you. I feel you, man. I know just what you mean, what you mean about this, because it's, it gets you going, it gets your juices flowing and you're thinking, well, what do we know about space today? What do we know about right. stuff right now? And how can I participate? A lot more than we did. But I think that there's a whole generation of scientists coming up that were affected by these things. You know, yeah. the, the, the technologies that are being developed, I, I suspect were, were um, I suspect that they were looking at, at the technologies, I should say, in science fiction and trying to figure out, well, how do we make that work? Quantum teleportation. I mean, yep. I was reading that they just got a, an atom to move like, you know, a billimeter something mm-hmm. tiny but it moved i mean there i think it's inspiring people to try to figure out how do we actually make these things happen and that's that's what brought me to opt and that's what that's i think that's why i'm constantly looking up through my scopes so you said you never um you never dreamed until you saw star wars and then after seeing it you never stopped, never stopped. right and so that led you to I want to look up for myself. I want yeah. to see, I want to reach out, man, I got to take this thing off. It is crushing my no, head. No, Hold no, no. You must leave it on. Just the <laughs> top I, piece. Just, I wanted you know to make what? a bet. You know what? For you, Jason, I'll keep this on. I wore it for six hours yesterday. The, the top piece too. Yeah. I feel like this would give this, anybody in a war fighting with this on is disadvantaged because it's crushing the skull before you ever swing the sword. 
Yeah, I, you know, it'll protect you. It'll protect you from a slashing blow, but a piercing blow, it's gonna get through. You know, it's it's kind of limited, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it is cool. I want you to wear that the entire episode. <laughs> I got this. I got this. We're already ten minutes in. I can make it another fifty. You can. I yeah. got this. I know you can. Yeah, I've seen sure your you arms. Yeah, I, I got this. So anyway. Um, you know, I apologize to both of you for thinking I would ever take this off. I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize to both of you. Don't let me down, man. Don't let me down, Dustin. Anyway, <laughs> this led you to telescopes. Yes. And it's um it wasn't my journey at all. You know, I wasn't really into Star Wars. Don't, you know, fight me, but if you do, I'm prepared. I've got a you know, twelve pound sword or whatever yeah. you said it was. Um but I wasn't into Star Wars or Star Trek, either one. Well, the journey can be, it can come from anywhere. I mean, I think, I think that throughout history, especially back in the day before light pollution, uh, the stars meant so much to the world. I mean, the Phoetians traveling the seas only by looking at stars. It was, it was important. You know, mm -hmm. you'd see a star rise at a certain time of night. That meant that, you know, spring was approaching, you know, maybe I should plant, um, I think that space has always meant a lot to the people that have been able to see it. Sure. And I think that the journey can come from anywhere. Mine just happened to come from, from Star Wars. So it really has been used for a lot, uh, huge portions of the human experience. Sure. Right. I mean, you've got theology, philosophy, and like you said, navigation even. Oh yeah. Right. So there's a lot of practical purpose. Very practical. I, mean, I remember reading about in 1054 when the Chinese astronomers spotted uh, M1, the Crab Nebula. You know, they saw it. You know, this was a thing. And well, what does that mean? What is this? You know, people have been thinking about these things for millennia. Right. And I don't think we're any different, except we have better tools. What does chainmail have to do with Star Wars? Nothing. That's what I was wondering. Why am I in chainmail? Well, I just happen to have the truck and people seem to be excited by it. It is exciting. It is. <laughs> I just didn't know if there was something I'd missed in one of the Star Wars no, episodes. No, no. Okay. I mean, I suspect that the 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 Jedi Knights before lightsabers may have had chainmail. They may have, yeah. It's not very effective against lightsabers, though. I'd imagine uh, it's very not effective against yeah. lightsabers. But who knows? Maybe maybe something will happen in the future. So you're talking about starting to? Did you just you just did this on your own? You're just like I'm just going to go camp out. The first time you went and camped out outside of the Hollywood uh, theater there. Um, well, I saw on the news that this small group of like six or eight people okay. were going to do this mm -hmm. and it was going to be for six weeks and that, six was, weeks. that was unheard of for episode one in 99. Okay. And I said, I have to go down there. So the next night I drove down there and I hung out with these people and I discovered, I think for the first time in my life, I found my tribe. You know, these are people that was that your crew understood without having yeah. to, um, you know, this is really hot too. Oh, you're going to take yours off. But I got to leave mine on. You're wearing a rag, and I've got to leave on chainmail. You got to button that back up, man. <laughs> oh, but it's a NASA shirt underneath, so it's okay. 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 All right. Um, so I, I show up this one night, and these people, we were completing each other's sentences. Yeah. And I, it, it was one of the first times I experienced that. And at that point, I was in love. Um. And I kept going back because it was Hollywood Boulevard back in 99 before it was mm -hmm. all Disneyfied. And, uh, you know, crazy things would happen. Fights and, you know, just, yeah. It and was, that was your scene. 
Oh yeah, I, you know, I got in my first fights as an adult. In line. <laughs> you know, I had Did to, you? You got in a fight I got in the line? Yeah, you know, tweakers at three in the morning. Yeah, you know, they, yeah, they get a little sassy, and well, and so how do you <laughs> tweakers be sassy? <laughs> <laughs> they get a little sassy, and they wanted your spot in line. Uh. Yeah, know, that's what it was. I don't know what they wanted other than to talk to the moon and yeah. know, barking. Uh, yeah. Right. It was just a mess. Yeah. So um, so how long did you end up staying? Did you stay all six weeks? Stayed all six weeks. Six weeks sleeping out in front of. Okay. So nobody actually stays the entire six weeks. What you do is you you clock in and out uh, okay. There's because there's a big group. We, we, we keep time. Okay. And um, I stayed there almost every day for six weeks. I, I was still working. So I would, I would leave the line at like eight in the morning, Okay. drive to work, work all day, drive home, or I should say after work, drive straight back to the line. And I'd be there for like, you know, 15 hours a day. So, and I did this for six weeks and for six weeks for episode two and seven weeks for episode three. Wow. And yeah, we're still doing it and it's fun. It's, it's liningup.net. There's an agreement among you guys of that you can go to work and then we'll keep your spot and you're right here. And then somebody yeah, else can because go. Yeah, it, because it's not realistic for somebody to take. You can't quit your job over it, yeah, right? You can't quit. You can't quit your job as much as you'd want to, um, to to do something like that. It's people still got to pay the bills. So, um, but you know, I, I think I spent seven hundred and twenty six hours in line in one of them. So, yeah, I spent I spent my time. Okay, well, How was it? So all of that time, and then you walk into episode one. Uh, the experience of seeing... And you see Jar Jar Binks. Oh, God. Uh, you know, I, I walked out of episode one feeling like I'd been kicked by a mule in the stomach multiple times. Pretty let, pretty let down. Oh, uh, I was deflated. It, it was like I found out I had butt cancer. It was bad. I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I, I kind of feel the same way for the last movie, actually. Really? Um, so have you liked any of them? Have you been like, this was worth it? Were any of them worth six or seven weeks? Rogue One makes my nipples hard. Okay. About it. Rogue okay. One gives me a chub. Yeah. Rogue yeah. One, the last 45 minutes of Rogue One might be the most Star Wars thing that has ever happened. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, tears in our eyes thinking about it. Yeah. The, the experience of lining up with these people who are the most elite super new, super fans in the world and the experience of seeing it with them, mm -hmm. um, the screams. I mean, I, you come out hoarse. It's, I can't, I can't describe it. It's, and I hope you, I'll get you a ticket if you want to show up. I'll, I'll show up in the last few minutes to, to walk in with you. You'll get a ticket. Get a ticket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, I you know what? I'd come out there for like a day. I'd come out there, I think, for like twenty-four hours just last, to see what that experience is like. But uh, seven weeks sounds grueling. It, it it wears on you, but it's Hollywood Boulevard. There's so much going on. There's yeah, so it is that happening. is a it's a cool spot. I mean, it is fascinating just standing there and watching yeah, the city. You know, I mean, just dealing with the insane people. It's fun. Yeah. You know, it, well, it can be fun. I'm bigger, so I can handle some things. But right, oh, it could be very dangerous. I, I'd imagine for yeah, it's it's really cleaned up though. Okay, and the theater has really been good to us. So we actually sleep on the handprints uh, at night. You told me a story last time you were here about those handprints. 
Yeah, I may have had um, I may have had a little sex on uh, Frank Sinatra's hand. Oh, that's not the. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! This this podcast just changed. Okay, that's not the story <laughs> I was talking oh, about. The Carrie Fisher, the Carrie Fisher ones. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, I forgot. Welcome. I forgot you told me that story, too, though. But, yeah. Welcome to Space Junk Podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, the great thing about the digital medium is that things can be cut out. Oh, no, they can't. Oh, no, 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 no. This ain't getting cut out. So when Carrie Fisher passed away two years ago, um, I, found out, I found out about this. Sorry, I'm not laughing at that, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm still just like, yeah, I may have. I may have. Uh, anyway. Carrie Fisher. So Carrie Fisher, she Please passed continue. away. And, you know, it was a shock to everybody. Yeah. And my natural response, like a homing pigeon, was to go to the to, to the Chinese theater. Right. I mean, it's it's the greatest cathedral to cinema mm-hmm. that's ever been created. It's like OPT of theaters. Okay. Um, so I go there, and she doesn't have a star on the Walk of Fame. And I thought that that was wrong. So... I, I went to and I bought some scrapbook lettering and I found the closest empty star to the theater and I just wrote Carrie Fisher. Right. And this turned into people cheering me on the street and like they, the people, the strangers just cordoned off the area. Right. And the wax museum actually, uh, they brought out some velvet ropes and put it up and my friends showed up like two or three hours later and they started helping me maintain it. And it just kept growing and growing and, Later that night, it was it made the news, and then people really started showing up. I think we ended up with like a hundred thousand people. Yeah, it became a huge deal. Yeah, because she touched so many lives, mm-hmm. and uh, this thing was maintained for about ten days. Um, and you you had all these interesting stories. People showed up because the collective grief needed to be focused somewhere. Sure, it, focused, it ended up focusing here, and you had stories like. This woman brought a stone and she she put it on the on the shrine thing and um, we asked her you know what is this for and she said well she had been pregnant years ago and her son was going to be named Luke uh, but she lost the baby and every year on the anniversary of when she lost the baby um, she'd go to the beach and pick up a stone to commemorate it this year she brought that stone to to the star because she wanted Luke to be with Leia mm. you know things like that it was like wow. Yeah, I had no idea that so much emotion for so long would be showing up here. People from other countries were leaving flowers and Coke cans and things because she was she had something to do with Coca Cola. But yeah, um, and the, the family invited me to her funeral, and she ended up getting like a plaque in where the handprints are in in the theater. So that was a that was a pretty cool thing. That is, yeah, yeah. So. 100,000 people came to the shrine that you made. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've seen the pictures online. I just had no idea that you did that. Yeah. That but was... I know that, I mean, it circulated everywhere whenever, you know, when she passed, because it was a big deal for everybody, right? Like, oh, I mean, she's huge. an icon. And her mother passed away. Yeah. Debbie Reynolds passed away two, three days later. Right. That was, that was, so that was incredible, too. Great. Yeah. So, and, you know, I was happy that I was able to contribute in some way to her legacy. Right. So... I mean, she affected the lives of pretty much everybody I've ever met. And, you know, I was able to to do a little something for her. And sure. No, I, I think that's wonderful. And clearly it had a, a huge impact on people. Yeah. Um, is this so this this movie has changed her life? I would say so. I would say that 
there's so many positive things that have come out of it. I mean, I'm here, I'm here at OPT talking about, it, right. You know, years, years after the fact. Yeah. And well, you talk about space this way all the time. I just had no idea that, you know, until the last time we talked, I just thought you were just like us in that you just saw this. It gave you this new perspective. I and wish it I was, was more just, like your arms. It was, just, <laughs> and it was just like, I want to, um, I want to explore the universe. Well, but it, like I said, it, it gave me the seed and the seed grew into astronomy. Um, Every chance I get, every time there's a clear, clear night, mm -hmm. I'm out looking. I was, I was out at my friend's house the other night pointing out, here's the North Star. And everybody thinks, oh, it should be the brightest star in the sky. No, no. And there's, there's Beetlejuice and there's Rigel and there's Capella. Right. Um, I love the knowledge. I love the looking up. I love pretty much every aspect. I love the places it takes you. If you're going to a place that has dark skies, generally speaking, it's, it's a really good place. You know, I, I camp a lot and I found that camping and astronomy work well together because you generally camp in dark skies. So I'll be fishing during the day and at night I'm all about astronomy. I'm always setting up, you know, I'm pointing out the space station when it flies over. Right. I brought a bunch of people out. Uh, if you were, if you were in Los Angeles, like 10 days ago, the ISS flew in front of the disc of the full moon. I brought all, I brought a bunch of people out. I had like 15 people out and I was, I was telling them, okay, there's a space station. And of course it turned right away, right as it hit the Zenith and you couldn't see it anymore. But maybe two minutes later, you just saw the blip of this thing going for the full moon. So, yeah, I think you're an excellent ambassador to the hobby because your excitement is super contagious and you're very knowledgeable too. You've become, regardless of where, what the origin was, you yeah. become extremely knowledgeable about, you know, all the aspects of the hobby, not just the equipment, yeah. uh, you know, the cameras and telescopes and everything, but also, you know, in the challenges that people face, you've, you've faced a lot of equipment challenges. Oh, I'm still facing them. Yourself. I mean, yeah. I think it's, I think that's a journey. I mean, I'm going to be buying some parts a little later today. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was set up two nights ago and, uh, I had my Explore Scientific ED-102 on my AVX mount. So let's run AVX mount. And I was pointed South. I was trying to just get my PhD to, to the guiding program. Yeah. The guiding assistant. Yeah. And for some reason I was drifting. So I got to figure that out. But you know, some nights just everything just works right. And then other nights it's, uh, I want to pull out my teeth. Right. Uh, and it could be anything. Right. It can be a cable. It can be, Anything. oh, I forgot a uh, power supply or. But then there's the nights where everything worked out. And yep. that first image comes through. Yep. And you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. That's an exploded star from, you know, right. Two million years ago. Right. You know, that that uh, horsehead nebula, that that's light that traveled 1500 years to get to our eyes. I mean, these ancient photons that we're collecting, that's exciting. It, it's it's leading us on a journey of where we've been, who we are. I mean, this, the stars that have blown up in the ancient universe, our bodies are comprised of, of the elements that were released into space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a miracle. So I think looking up is like, this is where we've been and this is where we're going. You know, I was driving home from the observatory last week and pretty late and I saw that um, Orion, I saw the Taurus constellation, you know, Orion, I saw all that was right there. And I thought about you because I thought, you know, the Crab Nebula, is right there. I know he's going to be. I know he's going to be shooting that because yeah. it's one of those that it forces you to think that way. You know, you have sure. this exploded star, and it just has that very unique pattern. You know, it looks yeah, like a like a brain. It or, looks like a jewel. Yeah. In space. Yeah. And to know that people witnessed it, 
1054. It's the it's the earliest witnessed um, uh, what exploded star that we know of, right? Yeah, and every that night was recorded, you're out there, yeah, there, yeah, and every night you're out there, there's a chance to see something like that. They said it was so bright when that happened that they could see it during, during the day. The, during the day, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I happen to be imaging 1054, um, the fireworks galaxy. Uh huh. Last. That's year, a tough target. Two years ago. Yeah. I was out in Joshua Tree, and a week later, I was reading that they had found a supernova in in this galaxy so i went back and looked and it, there it was i had no idea i captured the supernova but i captured a supernova right i mean how, how awesome is that that is yeah so before it was known yeah before it was known wow but then it then it came out and i was like oh my god i got a supernova I yeah got, you know that's a really interesting part of the hobby that we don't talk about enough here and that is the alert system that is out for everybody to use for transient astronomy. It used to be the word transient astronomy was almost an oxymoron because everybody thought nothing ever changed in the sky other than the motions of the planets and the moon and, and the sun. But now we live in, an, in a time when alerts go out. You can get alerts for meteors. You can get alerts for uh, near-Earth objects. You can get alerts for supernovae and all kinds of s s transients that are happening in the night sky and participate live. And that is, I think, a brand, well, it is a brand new thing. This is something that's only been around for at least the last decade. And we're all able now with our apps and, and phones to get these alerts and immediately help image something, you know, whether it's a comet or whatever it is. Yeah, they're fantastic tools to be able to share this experience with everybody. Uh, and I, every chance I get, I, I do that. I try to share right. this passion. That's the part of it that I think that I enjoy the most. Yeah. You know, taking the photo is very rewarding. I mean, I, I always say, but I'm definitely a photographer at heart. Even if it's not astro, I'm going on, I'm taking pictures of something. I love that process of stopping time. I love that process. That's a good way to, that's but, a good way to put it. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we've talked about that before, but it's like, who else anywhere in, in all of human history can say they've had that level of control of time? Astronomers look back in time and photographers yeah. stop it. Right. That's, that's that's I never thought of it that way, but that's a really good way to think of it. And um, doing both of those things at the same time, you know, you're you're pausing time, but you're pausing it two and a half million years ago when you take a picture of Andromeda. Sure. You know, I think that is it. It never gets old when I see that show up on my camera mm -hmm. or on the computer screen or when I'm processing the images and you see it come oh, yeah. together. Oh. It's there's nothing more rewarding in any hobby I've ever experienced. You know, it's great. That. When somebody sees Jupiter or Saturn springs for the first time mm -hmm. and you get that, <gasps> you know, oh, it's yeah. real, yeah. you know, and you get to, I, I, I've had like 70 people at my campsite in Joshua tree. Yeah. And this has happened a few times where I'm able to, to point these things out or, yep. or looking at Orion, you know, the, the, the brighter objects. Yeah. You know, the, there's a lot of people. Saturn stands. It's unique in yeah. it's, it's own though. I mean, I, how many times have you seen it now? I mean, a thousand. Enough. Yeah, exactly. Does it ever get old? Mm -hmm. uh, Tony and I were just looking. Tony, I bet between us we've seen Saturn 10,000 times. <laughs> yep. And we were just looking at Saturn from my house with a 20-inch Dobsonian. And I've, I mean, I'm telling you, it was the clearest I've yeah. ever seen it. It was it was unreal to, to the point where the the person we had with us was like, there's got to be a sticker in the front of the telescope. And how many times have you heard that? Yeah, you know, yeah or, this or, is fake, right? Or yeah, when you're, this can't be real. Yeah, yeah. Or or as you're watching the red spot move across because you're you're yep. looking at multiple Jupiter, times of the night. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, how how interesting is that? And then you see 
the shadow of the moons. Yeah. I mean, you know that the generations living now are the last generations that will ever see the red spot of Jupiter. It's going away. It's yeah. And that's shrinking. really unfortunate. It's been raging for 400 years that we know of. Mm-hmm. And I hear it's shrinking. I hope that we're wrong about that because it's, it's, a, it's a gem. It's such a unique feature. You know, you, looking at something like Neptune, you know, you're going to see some blue, but right. see some detail. Looking at Venus, I mean, you know, it's, it's bright. That's, that's Venus is Venus is tough to yeah. get to get any detail out of it all. Right? Yeah. It's just uh, Mars. But so seeing being able to see the details and being able to show people the details on another world. Right. That's it's a tremendous thing. You don't know the, the little kid that you've shown. You don't know how you've touched their future. Yeah. You know, I, there was a story of Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was telling a story about how he was in college and he was um, he, he attended a a Carl Sagan lecture and Carl Sagan ended up taking him to the bus stop or something. It's an incredible story. Yeah. That's yeah, an incredible story. And every time you get to show somebody the, the universe through a telescope, you don't know what they're going to do with it. You know, I, I, and it's, it's, it's a great way to look at it. Especially when you're showing like a, a group of kids, yeah. you know, you have no idea what you're setting in motion, mm-hmm. especially when, cause you can hear everybody that steps up to it. It's just that gas. It's like, wow, yeah. wow. You know, and you know that something just changed, but yeah. you don't know how far that's going to go. Did you just, did you just inspire something in this child that is going to help them better appreciate the intellectual capacity that they have or, you know, wanting to drive towards science sure. and or or even the creativity side, like the the artistry of astrophotography. You never know what's being inspired. Yeah, you may have lit a match in the dark in, yeah. in their universe and right. they're going to follow that light somewhere. Right. You and may have you, just created an astrophysicist. Yeah, yeah you may have created somebody who's going to be the next... Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody that's going to increase our knowledge. You know, it's, it's, it's a journey and we're all on it and, you know, it's, it's for the betterment of mankind that we know. I certainly can't think of anything more unifying than space for when you talk about all of mankind, the idea of there being one planet, right? If it's just, who are we as people, just citizens of earth? The only way that that makes sense is, I mean, when you, you have the only time you can take geopolitics out of the entire equation is when you look that far away from our own day-to-day lives. You have to take us into space in order to make all of that stuff insignificant enough to look at us as one race, one people. Yeah. And another aspect of it is that every time I look up, I feel like I'm Indiana Jones. I never know what treasures I'm going to pull out of the darkness. Uh-huh. You know, you, you don't know. You know, some some days it's going to be a comet. You might you might be witnessing a meteor shower. You might get to see a bullet. That's true. You know, and um, every day it's like it's like playing the lottery. You never know when you're going to hit something big. Um, it's it's it's. I really love the journey. So do I. It's interesting that so you're a fisherman. I am. I always compare imaging to fishing, at least the type I do. I do super narrow, narrow band, right? Three nanometer yeah. stuff. And uh, so my exposures are really long because of that. I mean, I'll have exposures that are 45 minutes to an hour each. And so you start the exposure and it feels like fishing. You know, you just threw it out there. But mm-hmm. there are so many things that can go wrong uh, the, in the, an the hour. The plane that flies by. Exactly. The, the, the wind that'll knock everything uh, yeah, you know, uh, an, an errant flashlight. 
anything, man. The wind blows, the the meteor streaks through the image, the plane, the satellite, the anything, somebody jumping up and down too close, a car driving over a speed bump a mile away. Like something can happen. And it does frequently. It does, yeah. But when you have everything just right and you've got your guiding perfect and it's correcting for it and you come back and an hour later you're watching. So I watch the countdown because it tells you it's like 89% done and 95% done and it's like 99 and then you see it say downloading image and in that couple of seconds you're like, oh, what is it? What is it? And then you see the image and when it comes up and it's just the sharpest, you know, just like it just the perfect galaxy or nebula or whatever mm-hmm. right there. Cause in an hour you're collecting a lot of data. So it looks like a processed image coming in right sure, then. Sure. And it's just perfectly sharp. That That is, you know, that you like, you just climbed the mountain, right? Like all of the challenges. Oh, yeah. And we're seeing details that I really wish we can go back in time and pull some of the Greeks out, be like, okay, this is what you described. And here, here it is. Right. Here, we're, look at this. We we're at such a fortunate time that we can see these things in such detail and we're witnessing things minute by minute. I mean, it would have been unheard of to spot an asteroid from another part of the the galaxy zipping through, you know, that would have been unheard of Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, but now it's happening. And I I suspect it's going to become fairly common, but we get to do these things. It's, these are things that have never been so easy in all of human history, it's never been it's never been possible. And so, like you're saying, going back and, and meeting the ancient Greeks and saying, sure. I just want to show you what you were describing. Or, you know, if you think about like when I say that this is connecting and should be for all of humanity, it's not just all of humanity living today. It's anyone who has ever lived on this planet. What, what would it be like to show Galileo? Yeah, the things that he was describing and exactly. at his rudimentary telescope. And- Think about how many times did Shakespeare make mention of the moon? Sure. He's talking about the same moon that we see all the time, yeah. and we can show it to him in high resolution. You know, we can show him pictures of a boot print on the damn thing. Yeah. Like these are things that they never knew would ever even be possible. And is it connecting? Yeah, it's connecting all generations. Yes. What What's so sad is that so many people live in such light polluted areas that they're missing out on on the beauty that the universe has to, to show us. I, I, I read this article saying that something like two thirds of humanity has not seen the Milky Way. Yeah. You know, and that's really sad. And I'm, I'm happy that people in this hobby, people in this, I would almost call a lifestyle because it's, it is it becomes more than a hobby. Of course we get to go and do the things that so many other people miss out on. Well, we prioritize doing those yeah. things, though. And I think that's that's part of why that experience you're describing is so important is whether it starts with a movie or it starts with viewing the moon for the first time. And no matter what, what it starts with, it it starts that momentum in a direction that ultimately leads to prioritization of, yeah. you know, that perspective and intellectualism and just like choosing to push yourself in this direction you know it's not an easy task you're talking about driving out into these dark sites in the middle of nowhere just to let yourself be better connected to the universe around you but you're prioritizing that you are and i i think there's other things you find silence you know you find an environment where you can hear the wind right you know without hearing the planes and the traffic and things there's there's a lot that goes on in my experience with when i'm having a telescope set up Right. You know, how often are you in truly silent areas where you're all you hear is the wind in your ears ringing? There's a lot going on there in in 
the entire and like the soothing rattle of the snake next to your foot you know uh, stuff like that I had, a, I had a rosy boa slither next to me uh, god it was in may you know that's but, terrifying uh, i would hate that i would never go back to that spot again yeah i go there all the time jumbo rocks site seven joshua tree <laughs> <laughs> that's where i always go yeah so. yeah i've been there one time never going back oh i i camped there five times last year wow been there four times this year yeah i don't do snakes well i don't do, I'll, I'll pull that one back <laughs> um well here it's fall yeah. in florida and that's the snake season because most of the snakes around here have, have uh, laid eggs in spring and they're now this, the, they've hatched and now they're coming out and looking around and seeing what's out there. And you see them all the, all over the place now. So you got to be careful where you, uh, where you step these days, but uh, I love, yeah, you snakes. got the water moccasins everywhere out there. Yeah. We've got about, I think six different venomous snakes here, but uh, all of them are very, you know, they're very shy. They don't want to have anything to do with people. So if you're very careful and you just look where you're going, you can avoid them quite easy. But, uh, yeah. you know, one of the things that strike me listening to you guys is that I think what we're talking about here are sparks. You know, what are the different sparks that can get us to look up and make the connections that we want, we would like, I think, everyone to have? We've become, we live in a society, we live in a world now where it is so easy to disconnect from nature and not just the stars in the sky, but just nature in general. We don't go and appreciate animals like snakes, or we think that these are separate from us and we don't know how to really interact in a, in a meaningful way, I think, with a lot of nature, period, much less the stars. So what are the what are the sparks that can get us out of our daily routines, out of our cocoons of, you know, social media or our houses or television, whatever it happens to be, and experience these things firsthand? And for, for you, Jason, and for, certainly for me as well, I have a component of that. Science fiction got us a spark of our imagination where we wanted to know more. Uh, certainly, many I've met many professional astronomers who have said that these science fiction ideas and books, Isaac Asimov and, and David or Larry Niven and a lot of the science fiction authors that we read growing up got them thinking about what's possible in science. And amateur astronomy clubs give, give ordinary people a look through an eyepiece. That's also a spark. Looking at Saturn for the first time gets us thinking about these things. These movies are, are avenues, you know, like, right. for example, Interstellar. They went to NASA. What does a what does a black hole look like? What do we think? What is the best idea? And anybody that saw that movie, now they have some idea as to what potential it looks like and what are the the time travel ramifications of getting near one. You know, these are these are concepts that science fiction is able to present in an interesting way. You know, you're you're telling a story. It's not just this this dry fact. That's uh, right. Yeah, and it can lead you to further investigate. And that's that's such a great feature of, of science fiction. And having been creating videos for, I guess, about 14 years now, over the course of doing that, one of the things that I get to appreciate are these, it, it's also a spark with think places like YouTube where they're watching a video and you can talk about black holes or the, what caused the Big Bang, whatever it happens to be. And then years later, 
have people come up to you, if not personally, certainly virtually and say, you know what? I started my degree in astronomy because of watching your videos. I watched you when I was in high school and now I'm a professional astronomer. Those sorts of things are absolutely just precious because, you know, then, you know, you've made that difference. It's like what Dustin was talking about. You don't know what spark just happened there, but something happened and it, it, it's probably going to pay dividends down the way that we could never predict. And so I think what all of us are doing, and certainly with amateur astronomy, but also in science fiction is providing a bridge and a connection. That's really, it, it shouldn't be this hard, but it is hard to make. Uh, it shouldn't be this hard to connect with nature. It shouldn't be this hard to see the Milky Way galaxy with your naked eye. And yet it eludes three-fourths of us or whatever you said it was. 30, yeah, our right? home galaxy and looking into the, what, the Perseus arm? Yeah. I mean, it, it should be readily available. Why is that so hard? Why is that hidden from us? And of course... I think because it's so elusive that when somebody does see it for the first time, it makes maybe more of an impact than if they saw it every day. Oh, I don't agree with that at all. I think if you live with it and you maybe, maybe I suppose you might become used to it, but some of these sites, some of these things, I think stay with you every day. I mean, imagine if you, I mean, if you live in a beautiful place where, you know, I mean, Dustin loves San Diego. He talks about how beautiful it is all the time. I don't see him ever getting, you know, sort of used to it. And the same would be true. I think with someone who could look up every night and see all the stars, I mean, it would just be, you know, Jenny, Jenny just got back from um, Iceland. She went to Iceland to go see the Northern Lights, grab some photos of it and everything. And she said she there. went out there with yeah, with the expectation of seeing this and knowing like this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing if I get to see it. But she had no idea how how life changing the event would be. I mean, she said when you see it, it's just it's so far outside of our day to day reality yeah. watching this light up across the entire sky. And it's it's so big. And like, I mean, she the way she described it in the photo she has, mm -hmm. it's just like the whole sky is just streaked with these like purples and greens and everything. And um, she thought, well, this is um, obviously it's all I'm going to be able to talk about for the next six months. But she said when she got back to the airport, everybody that's from there, from Iceland, was asking her, did you get to see the Northern Lights? Like they wait for it. And she was like, these people have not gotten tired of it. They will go out each night that it's happening and they like wait for it and they look for it and they'll get up in the middle of the night to go see if it's there. And they live there. They live yeah. there and they see, yeah. they've seen it a million times, but it's never gotten old. And I can tell you, it doesn't get old here, man. It I It doesn't get old for me either. I'm driving home. I'm looking out this window right now, looking at these skies. I'm telling you, I lived in Tennessee where a, you know, a night, a clear night is very hard to come by. A night where it's clear all night hardly ever happens. But here, I mean, you look outside, there's not a cloud in the sky and there's not going to be, you know, it's going to be clear all night tonight. And then on the way home, it's like, I'm going to drive past the most, one of the most beautiful ocean scenes in the world to get home and knowing that I'm going home so I can image from a clear sky. So like Tony's saying, like it never, ever gets old. It's not like, oh, the newness wore off that. That's why I talk about this place all the time. It's why people that are in Iceland are just waiting for those Northern Lights. It's like this stuff is I have epic. That's or a sunset in Hawaii. Me. I mean, they that's a big deal. Exactly. There. Exactly. What yeah. describing is how I felt after I saw the eclipse. I mean, everybody that witnessed that, tears in their eyes. That is how everybody talked about it. Yeah. Watching worlds in motion. Yeah, that was like, 
Well, you know, one of our staff here, Ian, um, he was on a video there at the Eclipse and they were just filming his reaction. Like two million people watched that video in 24 hours because it was he was like so moved by it. You know, he's just and he said, man, I just literally could not contain myself. I was I was there the day before. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Casper, Wyoming. Oh, okay. I ended up so you saw my team out there. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Nice. I went and saw TJ. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. Cool. And then uh, we, we ended up staying in Yellowstone. Right. And then watching the eclipse from Grand Teton. Okay. And my mother had never been to Yellowstone and she'd never seen an eclipse. So in the same day, I got her to see... Got her to see the eclipse, which is life changing. Yeah. Then I took her to Old Faithful, which she'd never seen. Yeah. Two wonders. I've never seen Old Faithful. And the Grand oh. Tetons aren't nothing to sneeze at either. <laughs> Those They're are not. Nice. So the eclipse, the eclipse was that feeling. Huh? It was that. Oh, the, the, what you know? I, I felt guilty later because I remember the feeling, but capturing it and being able to convey it to somebody who hasn't seen it, mm -hmm. it, it, it it's almost too big. You're witnessing something that's so beyond the human experience that you can you can only grasp so much of it later yeah you need to go see it again well it, and it's a complete huh. experience because where i was watching it i there's lots of birds in the trees i have a lot of forest around me and things like that a lot of animal noises and i can tell you as that eclipse progressed and when totality hit it was quiet everything oh. all of nature was quiet it's like the animals were also responding to it. And it was an experience you just don't get any other way. There's no way you can replicate that or simulate it or anything. It's got to be a total solar eclipse of the sun. And you've got to be standing in totality to get this. And there's no other way to do it. You know, the people that I've talked to, probably the, the quote I've heard most from people, because I, I know so many people that went up to Casper to go see it. And it was people that were religious and people that weren't religious and just a lot of people. And almost everybody said it's it's the most religious experience oh, I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, seeing seeing the corona with your with your name. Yeah. High, you know, seeing that black dot. I, I how do you how do you describe that? And then the experience before it for me. Yeah. As totality approached, the animals around me started freaking out, crying and you know, right. And then there was there was the silence you're talking about. Yep. But the flowers were closing, and then there was a there was a sunset in 360 degrees. The fish were jumping out of the water, you know, like they because they thought it was nightfall. Oh, that makes sense. There would be a sunset in yeah, 360, 360 degrees. 360 degrees. Wow. And then I don't know if you guys noticed in the shadows how odd the the, the shadows were. I mean, the the, the 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 plants were casting these unique shadows. There was so much going on, and yeah. everybody got to witness it because it was slowly happening. And then the color, had is it's a color I haven't seen since, before huh. since. There's very few places you get perspective like that, very few experiences that you get this viewpoint of your place uh, in society and on earth and amongst one another as you do when you're seeing things like this or you're sharing a view yeah. of Saturn or a, uh, what are, a full moon even or just looking at a sunset. These sorts of things are big deals in the places where they happen. The west coast of Florida shuts down at sunset. I mean, everybody's outside looking at the sunset. And it, it's, it's never uh, a, a tiring experience. And I just would wish for anybody to be able to have that connection at some point in their lives. I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm sure there's plenty of people in New York that are very much in love with nature. But I wonder about people who live in big cities do they ever get a chance to make that connection very, very much? We know Stephen Swancote, he's an amateur astronomer there. 
great guy. Again, he, he makes the connection all the time, but I often wonder how big that that community is and, and whether they get the same experience as the rest of us. The groups are surprisingly small, even though the population density is so great there. The groups that are, um, you know, have kind of formed to experience those things because I think the challenge is so great are surprisingly small, but you have people like Jupiter Joe and Stephen Swancoat that are out there that are committed to showing it to as many sure. people as possible. And they're quite and, extraordinary. Um, yeah, they're, they're really great. People. They are, but they but it be. takes people like that because it is so much more challenging. You know, not only do you have to overcome the light pollution, but you have to overcome the buildings. That was the challenge we ran into imaging in Times Square. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the light pollution. I'm sure you were using the buildings. Hands. Yeah. Yeah. We're at three nanometers across all channels. And, you know, what you run into is, man, how do we polar align? Because we can't see Polaris and the buildings are blocking everything, yeah, you know. So we um, we made it work, but it it's a challenge. It really is. You know, when I was thinking about this as, as you were talking, and I was thinking how science fiction allows us to explore the possibilities of the universe. Um we, we were talking about our, our place, like the, the interconnection. And I think science fiction is a place where our imagination runs wild in this scenario. And I think that that's why it's so important to, for, for the sciences and for the astronomy community. And this is, this is where the seeds of dreams are planted and everybody is in a process of becoming. And some of those people that saw these things, so, so some of the stories, uh, they're going to become the, the next generation of, of explorers. And I, I think that's one of the more important aspects of science fiction. Yeah. And, it, and it's a fun ride, but it plants a seed. Yeah. Well, like any, like any skill or like any muscle in your body, you, uh, you know, you want to exercise your imagination because the more you can exercise that through these stories, through science fiction, through what might be possible, you begin to hone those skills of thinking about incredible ideas. And if anything science has taught us is that it, it is an extremely human endeavor and imagination and creativity are absolutely essential for scientific progress. And before we could even imagine that there was a speed of light, uh, that was a, that was a, speed limit we had this idea that time is is not the same for every person i mean that was an imaginative intuitive leap that einstein made when he started with relativity who could have made that now i don't know if he was into science fiction very much he was also extremely brilliant but imagine have you had if you work out these impossible scenarios and you let your mind go you know between lightsabers and warp drive and and you know all these creatures from all these other planets you're working out in a very important muscle in your brain a, a skill set in your in your mind that i think is vital to get you through science and make the connections in the real world in nature and make leaps that i think would not be possible otherwise I think science fiction and, and all of these things that were that in fantasy too, where you could magic and think about what's possible are very important skills. And we do this naturally at a young age. Uh, as a kid, we gravitate toward these sorts of stories just because they're fantastic, but they stay with us as adults because we always think, man, I really wish we had warp drive. I really yeah, wish I had a transporter fly the Millennium right now, Falcon. I wouldn't be sitting on the 405 <laughs> if I had that freaking transporter, you know? So <laughs> what kind of telescope are you using now? Uh, I am rocking a Celestron Edge 11, uh, an Explore Scientific ED-102, and an, an Explore Scientific ED-80. 
Yeah, the uh, which one you're shooting mostly through the eleven? Uh, oh yeah, you put that uh, the Optec focuser on the back. You I, put I the put, Leo. I put the Optec Leo. I'm still working out some of the the bugs on that, but that was mainly due to poor skies lately. Yeah, I I think that I would have figured things out pretty quickly. Right, that's such a nice great beaker. Optec makes that the best yeah, it's a stuff man it's so good so good and i'm i'll be picking up an off-axis guider today because i need you know we talked about this, yeah. this last time how, yep. how much easier it is with a guide scope right but i want the option yep. you know for some of these long focal lengths um i want to potentially guide a little bit better have it's nice eliminating like cone error and just knowing that it's just a rigid system and it's fixed once you set it you can literally just never think about it again yeah, i was so. i was playing with the 102 for ease of use, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, it it's oh, sometimes challenging to to switch out to my CGX mount and my 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 Edge Eleven right. a little bit more setup than you know just going with something a little bit smaller. Sometimes How do you like the CGX? I love it. It's awesome, isn't it? You know, uh, the first night I I had it, I actually slept with it in my bed. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> because you just have no room on the floor. No, I didn't want it to be on the floor. I wanted to know it was going to a loving home. And it, it's, it's, it's been loved ever since. So You I, slept with the mount. Yeah, I slept with the mount. Okay. But did I've you, also eaten pieces of meteorite because I wanted meteorite powers. And did that work? I'm not going to say. But if I glow in the dark, <laughs> well, you'll know. Sounds like, sounds like it got him laid at the yeah. Chinese Cedar. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> is that your line I, uh, I ate a meteorite one time uh, it may have been used once or twice i don't yeah. know that it worked yeah but these are what did it taste like iron yeah uh. it wasn't a big piece we were, we were in a geology class and we had a, a nickel uh, iron. <laughs> that stuff is more expensive by the ounce than gold man somebody was probably so pissed <laughs> i chipped off a little piece and i ate it you know you made somebody's meteorite man that's cold. Just a That's piece. cold. Just a little piece. Oh man, who does Don't, that? There's all that Jason in your house. You, eat you your, swallowed eat your meteorites. it. Yeah, I swallowed it. You swallowed a meteorite. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, not, not cool, either, man. So not I know cool. It was just a little piece. <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> well, I mean, stranger uh, things have happened in science fiction and comics. How old were you? Uh, 22, 23. <laughs> yeah. I would do it again. So yeah. that's old enough to know better. Oh, we do it again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would do it again. I didn't change my mind on that. I ate a piece of the Grand Canyon when I was down there. Pulled off a little rock. <laughs> ate that. You know. Why? Why eat things? Why not just like most people, I think, just bring home maybe like a rock or something? Well, I wanted to be part of me. You know? Mm, yeah. You he wanted know, to digest so much the Grand Canyon. He wanted to digest yeah, It makes a lot of right. sense. Those 1.2 billion year old exposed rocks. Either own the Grand Canyon or get owned by the Grand Canyon. Well, you choose it. to own it. I choose to own it. Yeah. You eat you it. Know? Yeah. People Beta this Grand Canyon. I taught it a lesson. Yeah. So it's, it's you did teach it a lesson. It's part of me now. Yeah. You know, you know I was I was watching this uh, documentary and they were talking about John Muir and how he would soak um, sequoia pine cones in 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 water and this purplish liquid would come out and he would drink it so he could become more sequoical. Well, if I could become more meteoroidical, if I could become more Grand Canyonical, mm -hmm. well, I, you know. there was something traveling through, the, you know, space for four point six billion years, yeah. and then you ate it. Yeah, and I ate it. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I do imagine that most of the the elements that are on the planet are just as old. 
But, you know, they, they're not flying through space right now. No, they're not. And they're not flying through space together as one like solid piece of something you know, I'm, for four and a half billion years. I'm dreaming of the day where a meteor lands somewhere near me and I grab it and it's still hot and I get a scar. You see it floating down you and it. you just catch it on your tongue or like a me. like a snowflake. Like a snowflake. Oh, that's delicious. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it'll melt. It might melt through me because of the heat, but yeah. Well, I don't know. You've already eaten several things like that. You probably do have some kind of powers. I'd I imagine. probably do have some powers. I have the power to embarrass my family. Right. <laughs> I have the, the power to drive women far away from me. Oh, I have those powers. Okay, I have those. Yeah. I must have eaten some meteorites. It's amazing. You find a lot of those powers among this community. <laughs> not with Dustin. I haven't. Dustin doesn't have that experience. Definitely not with Dustin. No, not no, with no. those cannons. Yeah. He's got Hubble telescopes under his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> his pecs have abs. <laughs> his pecs. His I, I'm wearing armor yeah. right dude, now, dude. So I got mad. I'm, you still got it on, man. I gotta tell you, I I respect you, man. That was that's hard. Fifty nine minutes and thirty three seconds later, and I've got this sixty eight pound yeah, suit on. Man. You did it. You did it. You, <sighs> you stuck it up. Your ancestors hunted the woolly mammoth. You could take it. <laughs> I'm being influenced by people who are admitting they have the power to drive women away. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've also driven them into the the handprints of the oh of Santa, oh so, so it's yes. been a great episode, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got to go. Keep, yeah, everybody, keep looking up. It's got decidedly uncool around here. All right, <laughs> everybody, keep looking up. Keep looking up. Oh. You never know what's out there. Yeah, <laughs> it's All the right. land of dreams. All right, let's go so so that Dustin can get out of that chain mail. Uh, thank you, oh. J- Jason Thomas was our guest talking to us about all kinds of stuff. And congratulations on the uh, amazing results you've had in with all your superpowers and on that on getting Dustin to wear that chain mail. Before you go though, one quick question: What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Was it uh, Empire? Em- Empire. Em- Empire. Me too. I'm an Empire guy. Okay, we'll let it go with that. Dustin, do you have a favorite? Uh. No, I, I can't nah. say. I don't want to pretend to be. I, yeah. I like the movies, but I, I'm a, just a casual fan. Like, I don't okay. I don't know them like All you right. guys do. Empire, Empire Strikes Back still rules. Absolutely. Okay, guys. It's the Alpha and the Omega of the Star Wars. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Alpha and the Omega. Okay, well, on behalf of my co-host, Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. 